This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, not busy with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be happy, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be happy. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to false views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you. And uh, tonight I'm, um, I'm going to talk about um, the world being upside down. The way we see the world is something that is upside down. And uh, to that end, I'm going to read uh, sections of uh, or most of the Pia uh, Vaga. The uh, Pia chapter in the uh, Dhammapada. And um, Pia means deer uh, or affectionate. Pia. I used to have a friend uh, who was named Pia Ratana, the jewel of, uh, of uh, dearness or affection, but he changed his name when he became a bhikkhu. Um, uh, we, what I'm saying uh, before is that uh, we see this world upside down, and the things that are dear to us are, for the most part, uh, just the opposite. And um, first we'll see examples of that in the Pia Sutta. And then uh, we'll talk about cognitive distortion, vipalasas. 
And so I'll, I'll start with the Pia Vaga, the Pia Sutta. Uh, avoid that which should be shunned. Applying oneself to that which should be avoided, not applying oneself to that which should be pursued, and giving up the quest, that's the, of the Noble Eightfold Path, and so on. One who goes after pleasure envies those who exert themselves. And that's uh, referring in particular to bhikkhus who do not work and uh, finally disrobe and envy the, the bhikkhus who continue on the path. Give up, in the next verse, give up both what is dear and not dear. Consort not with those that are dear. Not what you'd expect to hear somebody say uh, for advice. Consort not with those who are dear. Never with those who are not dear. Not seeing those that are dear and seeing those that are not dear are both painful because of attachment on one side and aversion on the other. Attachment and aversion, both um, with, um, with the dear. <laughs> hold nothing dear. Hence, hold nothing dear, for separation from those that are dear is painful. Bonds do not exist for those to whom nothing is dear or not dear. These are difficult lessons, I think. Okay, uh, and the story is uh, about um, uh, the only son in a, a family in Savati wanted to become a bhikkhu, and so he did against his parents' uh, uh, advice. And uh, because of their strong attachment to them, to him. They became uh, a bhikkhu and a bhikkhuni also. And they had such strong attachment for each other that they hung around each other all the time in the monastery and ate together and talked together and acted as a family and annoyed the other uh, monks. Um, and apparently the other bhikkhunis also. Um, and so uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't break their attachment to each other. And so this was reported to the, the Buddha. The Buddha said, once you have joined the order, you should no longer stay together like a family. There is no doubt that not seeing those who are dear and seeing those who are not dear to one are both painful. Even so, you should not hold any being or anything dear to you. I'll, I'll read that again. Even so, you should not hold any being or anything dear to you because emotional attachment hinders spiritual development. Okay. Now, the, in the next one, there was a rich high householder who was very depressed over the death of his son. And he wept often every day in the cemetery. And the Buddha saw in his vision uh, uh, the householder acting like this and went to see him and asked why he was so sad. And the man told about the death of his son. The Buddha consoled him and said, death does not occur, occur only in one place. 
All beings that are born must die one day. Indeed, life ends in death. You must ever be mindful of the fact that life ends in death. Do not think that only your beloved son was subject to death. Do not be so distressed or so shaken. Sorrow and fear arise out of endearment. I'll read that again. Sorrow and fear arise out of endearment. Perceiving the fleeting nature of life, the rich householder attained the first stage of sainthood. Okay, the next verse is similar. Uh, Visaka, uh, a famous uh, a disciple of the Buddha, lost a grandchild, uh, a little girl, and she felt very sad and, and grieved her loss and went to the Buddha and expressed her grief. And the Buddha uh, said um, the same, Visaka, don't you realize that many people die in savati every day? If you were to regard all of them as your grandchildren, you would have to be endlessly weeping and mourning. Let not the death of one child affect you so much. Sorrow and fear arise out of affection. The next one is grief springs from attachment. Um, <laughs> this is an odd story about um, the Buddha with uh, some uh, bhikkhus were walking along one day. Uh, they entered the town of Vesali and uh, they met some uh, princes of Lichavi uh, who were elegantly dressed and on their way to a pleasure garden. And on the, their way, they met, um, they met a, a courtesan, a beautiful courtesan, who invite, and they invited her to join them. But then they quarreled and fought and came to blows. And as a result, some of them had to be carried home bleeding on stretchers. On their way back, after the arms, alms round, the Buddha and the bhikkhus saw the wounded princes being carried home. The, the bhikkhus remarked, for the sake of a woman, these lichavi princes are ruined. <laughs> the, the Buddha then replied, bhikkhus, sorrow and fear arise out of enjoyment of sensual pleasures and attachment. Hmm. Now, in another story, uh, there was a man who was to marry a young girl, uh, beautiful young girl, uh, and as she was coming from her hometown to Savati, she became ill and died on the way. The, the bridegroom was overwhelmed with grief and pain. At this juncture, the Buddha went to his house knowing that the time was ripe for this young man to realize the Dhamma. That means to attain the, the first stage, uh, Sotapanna. The parents of the young man offered alms food to the Buddha. After the meal, the Buddha sent for the young man and asked why he was so distressed. He related the whole story of the tragic death of his young bride. Then the enlightened one said to him, lust begets sorrow. It is due to lust for things and lust for sensual pleasures that sorrow and fear arise. On reflecting upon the advice of the Buddha, 
He overcame his grief and pain and realized the fleeting nature of sensual desires. Soon after, this young man attained the first stage, the first stage of sainthood. Grief springs from craving. Uh, there was a Brahmin who was a follower of another religion, but the Buddha knew that this Brahmin would attain, or could attain the first stage of sainthood in the near future. And so the enlightened one, the Buddha, went to the place where the Brahmin was plowing his field and talked to him almost every day. The Brahmin became friendly with the Buddha and promised that when his rice field uh, came in from the harvest, he would give a portion to the Buddha. But what he didn't know was that he would never see this rice because there was a giant storm and it ruined his rice crop. Um, <clears throat> so one day before the Brahmin could uh, harvest his rice, his rice, uh, rice crop was destroyed. The Brahmin was very sad because he, he no longer could offer any rice to his friend, the Buddha. The Buddha visited the Brahmin to console him, and the Brahmin related the great disaster that had befallen him. The Buddha advised, Brahmin, sorrow and fear will never arise if there is no craving. Now, the question is, is, is there never cases where there is one who is dear, that there, there can never be endearment, there can never be attachment to, well, attachment or um, the love of a dear person, or of, uh, of a dear being. Uh, on one occasion, there was uh, the pupils of, um, of an elderly monk who wanted to know if this elderly monk uh, had attained any stage of enlightenment. And uh, this, enli uh, this uh, elderly monk didn't want to say, although he was already uh, uh, a, a non-returner, an anagami, he didn't want to say until he had attained uh, arhathood. However, he, he passed away without being able to tell anyone. And his pupils went to the Buddha, uh, some in tears, and a feeling that they, their teacher had not attained any stage of enlightenment. And the, he, the Buddha replied, bhikkhus, your teacher, who, uh, who was an anagami before he passed away, is now reborn in the abodes of the Brahmas. He did not reveal his attainment because he felt ashamed that he had achieved only that much. He was ardently striving to attain arahathood. Your teacher is now freed from attachment to the sensual world. They loved their teacher very much and were attached to him. So there is a case where the attachment is not so, so difficult, so wrong uh, for your own path. Uh, now, hmm. and the last story I have 
is about a wealthy man, uh, and the title of this is Merit Welcomes the Doers of Good. Uh, Nandia attains the heavenly glory. Uh, and the, I'll read the verse. A man long absent and returned safe from afar, his kinsmen, friends, and well-wishers welcome on his arrival. Likewise, his good deeds will receive the well-doer who has gone from this world to the next, as kinmen, kinsmen will receive a dear one on his return. Uh, Nandia was a wealthy man from Benares, and after listening to the Buddha's uh, discourses on the benefits of building monasteries, uh, he was able to build the Maha Vihara, Mahabhavihara Monastery in Isipatana. The building was pinnacled and fully furnished. As soon as the monastery was offered to the Buddha, a mansion came up for Anandiya in the Tavatinsa Deva world. One day, uh, Mahamogalana visited the Tavatinsa Deva world and saw the mansion which was meant for the donor of the Mahavir monastery at Isipatana. On his return from the Tavatinsa Deva world, Mogalana asked the Buddha, Venerable Sir, are those who perform meritorious do deeds able to receive the fruits of mansions and other riches in the Deva world, even while they are still living in this world? And the Buddha replied, why do you ask this question? You yourself have seen the beautiful palace and riches waiting, waiting for Nandiya in the Tavatinsa Deva world. The Devas await the coming of the good and generous one. <clears throat> so there, to them, he's very dear. Uh, as uh, they wait him as relatives await the return of one who is long absent. When the good ones die, they are welcomed joyously to the abode of the devas. And a commentary goes on to say that Nandiya, after a, a life devoted to almsgiving, died and was reborn in the Tavatinsa Deva world. So one thing I skipped was uh, for the, for the um, teacher who died and passed away, uh, here are the things that he did that uh, caused him to be endeared uh, to, uh, to, his, uh, to his students. He had developed a wish for the ineffable, that's Nibbana. He whose mind realizes it with the three fruits uh, that's the, the free, three first stages of uh, sainthood. He whose mind is not bound by material pleasures, such a person is called an upstream bound one. And those uh, are referring to the five uh, heavens uh, for those who have attained anagami. So th there the, the devas are waiting eagerly for this this teacher to come. So uh, non-attachment uh, doesn't really apply to these uh, kind of beings. And so we have about five minutes or so bec uh, before uh, we can start meditating. But So if you want to ask questions about this, 
you may ask what um, we're going to talk about next. And why do we see things upside down? We see the things that uh, the sensual desires as being, um, uh, we're eager to go after and, uh, and the things that we're not so eager to go after are the things that will bring us to the heaven worlds. Um, questions? Is this clear to everybody? <laughs> Yes, uh, if it's not clear, please feel free to ask a question. It's a good chance. And next we, I'll just say that we're going to talk about vipalasas. If you may have heard about that, cognitive distortions. And why the world and why our thoughts are so affected by cognitive distortion. And why that uh, is a, why I've used this particular um, sutta to illustrate that to some extent, the Pia Sutta. And I greatly recommend the uh, Dhammapada. I read from it uh, quite often um, at the monastery um, on, on the weekends. Would you like to clarify what you mean by cognitive distortion? Well, I'd, <clears throat> I would, but I'd like to save that for, for after the meditation, or I won't have anything to talk about. <laughs> uh, co cognitive distortions, I'll just say uh, when, what they mean by cognitive in this case are views, uh, perceptions, which are influenced by views, our views, and our thoughts, which are influenced by our perceptions. And so it's um, a vicious circle. It's like um, a feedback loop. I guess that's in programming. Uh, the, our views influence our perceptions. And the, f the perceptions influence our thoughts. And our thoughts create the rationale for our views, and then so our views take on the the, the rationale created uh, by the uh, the thoughts, which are influenced by the uh, perceptions. And so, and then the views influence the perceptions, so that we see things a certain way, and things are bent one way or the other. So it becomes a vicious circle of change. And this is cognitive, this is the reason for cognitive uh, distortion. I haven't talked about the distortion yet. I'll save that for later. And uh, if there are no questions, then I think we can start the uh, meditation. Yes, that would be excellent, Monty. Would you like to do that? Thank you. Okay. Right? <clears throat> so, we'll start the meditation uh, first by relaxing and making sure that our uh, whole physical body is relaxed and uh, we, we're not carrying tension anywhere, especially in the face 
and the neck and the shoulders and, and so let that tension uh, feel that and let that go and let, let that pass down and out the arms and out the fingers and just release it and let all the tension go from the shoulders and the arms and the hands and let, the, let our uh, sensation go down the, our trunk and remove the, um, any tension that's in our body, the main part of our body and let that go down uh, to the hips, to the thighs and down to the knees and let it go down to the lower legs and then finally out the, the feet and the soles of the feet. And uh, now you can repeat this if you feel a need. Once you've got that practice, you can start again at the roof, the top of the head and letting all the tension go in your face and the neck and the shoulders, letting, letting go of all the tension in the arms that it's built up and the arms and the hands and letting all the tension in the arms and hands flow out through the fingers. And then again, down through the trunk, down and into the hips and the legs, the thighs, and uh, the upper legs, and then the lower legs, and out through the feet. Okay, and so you can do this anytime during the meditation, anytime you suddenly feel tension building up in your face, in your neck, just relax. Put that as a priority. You don't want to try meditating when you're tense. So always put the relaxation uh, as a, uh, a priority for your meditation. All right, so now we'll start And we'll do meditation on the breath, unless you wish to do some other kind of meditation, such as metta, metta meditation. Whatever you usually do is fine, but otherwise I'll talk about the breath. So we uh, look at the breath, the in-breath and the out-breath, as uh, Ajahn Brahm describes the process. We watch the in-breath and the out-breath, not putting any stress on the breath. This is not yogic breathing. We're not uh, stressing it one way or the other. We're not trying to make the breath one thing or the other. We're not trying to breathe from a certain place like the stomach. We just have a normal breath, a normal in-breath and an out-breath. And we watch that breath in and out, in and out. And soon I'll stop talking and guiding. <clears throat> and then later I'll periodically come in and coach uh, in case people have gone off the track. I'll remind you to come back on the track, bring your mind away from thinking, 
Take your mind away from thinking now and watch the breath. And watch how the breath changes. Sometimes it's long and sometimes it's short, sometimes it's heavy, sometimes it's uh, delicate and smooth. Whatever changes you see, just note them. Don't try to change them. Just watch the breath and see how the breath uh, moves on its own. If you need to take a deep breath, uh, certainly go ahead and take a deep breath. And continue breathing watching the breath, in breath, pause, out breath, pause. Note the pauses, are they long or short? Are they changing in length, the pauses? See the nature of the breathing, but don't try to change things one way or the other. Continue watching the breathing. In and out. Continue watching the breathing. And we'll breathe now until eight, about eight. In and out. Watching the breathing or watching whatever meditation object you've chosen as an alternative. Remember to look at your body periodically and make sure you're relaxing in all parts and not holding tension somewhere.
Keep your mind on the breath. Don't let the breath, don't let the mind wander to the events of the day or what's going to happen when the period of meditation is over. Don't think about the events that have happened today or the events that might happen tomorrow. Return to the breath if you've wandered, if your mind is wandering or has a tendency. Check it periodically and make sure you're following the breath as your main meditation object. Do you see the changes in your breathing? Are you mindful of the changes and the changes in your pauses, your in-breath in and pause, out-breath and pause?
had any attachments to the world or to other persons in the world, people you hold dear, or possibly enemies. Let all those things go. Only pay attention to your meditation object.
Stay with mindfulness of the, the breath. Adhere to the meditation object, not to the sensual objects of the world outside. If you hear sounds from some someplace uh, just outside, just let them come and let them go without making a fuss about them. Let them come and let them go. Whatever enters, let it go. Whatever comes, let it go. Whatever comes, let it come and let it go. Remember to check your whole body for relaxation. And you may feel a tingling. This is Pia. Pity, I'm sorry, Pity. Pity Sukha. joy and happiness, piti sukha that you feel. And you can pull on that tingling, if you feel the tingling, and pull it in like, a, like an energy that you're drawing in, that enlivens you, fills your whole body with, with this tingling.
If you have any feelings in your body, any pains or any itches, uh, just let them go. Let any, any, any of these, like sounds, let them go. But any feelings you have in your body, just recognize them and let them go. Let all other thoughts go. Let, let them dissipate. Any thoughts of tomorrow or yesterday. Return to the breathing.
Now in the last couple of minutes we can turn our thoughts, if we wish, to metta. Thinking first, may I be happy, may I be happy, may I be happy. And then when you wish, uh, turn your thoughts to other beings, the beings in this class, those in your town, where you are, where you're living, the beings uh, on the earth, and spread the metta out to the whole world gradually. May all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. May all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. May all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. And now it's eight o'clock and we can end this session. So gradually come back to the present and the class ending. If you're meditating in the dark and you turn the lights on, Take it easy on your eyes and open them gradually. Is Chris there now? Yes, I'm Okay. Uh, so. Do you want to talk more or go straight into questions and answers? Uh, I can go into question and answers now if you have some. Yes, we do. We've got some questions in the chat. Would you like me to read them for you? Yes, please. This is uh, from one of our guests tonight. You say grief is an attachment. Then with grief, we generally show our emotions. Is this also showing our compassion and empathy for someone? Well, yes, uh, in answer to the question, of course it does. There's no doubt that it does, but if you remember the verses uh, that I read from the Dhammapada, uh, there can be other things to concern yourself in this world besides uh, the death of other people, even close relatives. Um, uh, remember, uh, the, remember the path, and if you feel that you're on the path, uh, be mindful and not be drawn off the path even by the death of others. Because as I was reading, uh, people die all the time. And you want to maintain your meditation, uh, your meditation on the path and continue meditating and not be drawn off the path, even by the death of someone close to you. 
I hope that helps. Um, Thank you, Bunty. That sounded very adequate to me. Uh, we have one more in the chat. I'll re can I read that too? For yes, you? please. After the meditation, how do we practice to still love our families but not be attached? It is, uh, for mm. me, confusing because mm. sometimes I feel it can sound cold. Sometimes I feel what? Conf um, just a second, I'll read it again for you. How, maybe how do we practice to still love our families? Yes. But uh, not be attached. It is confusing sometimes because I, the, the person feels that it can sound cold to the family yeah. not to feel attachment for them. Well, <laughs> this is why I read this uh, chapter, because it's so un unusual in a way um, and to have the Buddha speak out like this, you have to decide on your priorities. And even if things, uh, sad things are happening to your family and they happen to every family, still you maintain your, your number one priority, which is, which is the path. And the path being sila samadhi and panya, in other words, the more sila is morality, uh, samadhi is meditation or mindfulness. Even when you're not sitting, you can be mindful. And panya, which is wisdom. You, you have to make the decision yourself and not be drawn off the path uh, no matter how dear the people are. Um, uh, it's, it's up to you to decide um, and to explain in the best way that you can to your family that you're, you're following a path, uh, the Buddhist path of meditation. And if you seem cold, uh, the reason is that you're maintaining your mindfulness. If that's the case, if that's the truth. And uh, keep on uh, maintaining your mindfulness. Even if other people uh, don't understand, haven't reached your level of understanding the path. Yes, you see what I mean? It's not so easy. That's why I read that chapter. It's not so easy and uh, and it shows that the world is upside down. The things that we take are important and the most important things are not. Uh, the, mo the most important things are on the bottom in our world and they should be on top. We see things upside down because of um, a cognitive distortion, because we haven't taught ourselves uh, right, we haven't learned right, we haven't been on the right path. Okay, is that, uh, any other questions? Bhante? Yes? Um, I'm wondering what place uh, meta in the um, relationships 
to sustain um, care, um, response to people suffering, um, rather than have a, a detached in the sense of... Um, well... <laughs> I think the last question was cold. Um, I, I would have thought there could be a lot of warmth and care and attention and response to the people that we love. Um, I think that, that is what we're being asked to do. I think metta is uh, a top priority and is probably the best response we could have to almost any situation. <laughs> uh, absolutely, you've hit upon the, the best response. All right. Is that too simple? Practice the, the... No, not at all. I, I think, I think um, when, we can, when we talk about it only in the sense of um, non-attachment and don't bring in the meta, it, it, it can give a distorted view about how then we, we are in relationship with others. That was my concern. I, I see. Metta is a non-attached form of, of love. I think the Christians call it agape, if I pronounce it right. That we have love, we can have love for our children and yet not be attached. There's a, a form of love that's... Uh, I don't know how else to put it. And it's universal. Uh, it can be universal if we make it so. And that's what metta is, universal love, unattached. All right? So... Can I... Yep. I follow up on that a little bit. Um, do you mean that the, the form of, like, non non-attachment it's not like um you do your own business <laughs> you have nothing to do with me like that is not the no, like the non-attachment that you're talking about but rather like um if you love your mom you love he, you love her but you're not creating any expectation for her like you don't expect her to be something that she's not like if she's dying, you accept that she's dying, but you take care of her. Is is there some? Is there similar to like you take care of her? You give the um, you give her the um, how to say? You take care of her, and you you help her in the way that she needs, but without like it, taking it very personally in terms of the kind of attention that you are giving to your family? Is that what you're talking about? Well, yeah, I think, yes, <laughs> I think so. Uh, it's, it's really your personal feelings. But as I say, uh, metta, metta, if you're practicing metta, and I, I hope you do, and uh, metta is the best approach. Um, in, 
impersonal, it's impersonal, but it's not cold. And it applies to everybody in the world. It's universal love. I wish I had better words uh, that I could describe it. But it, this is, it's not only in uh, Buddhism, it's in other, other religions also. This uh, uh, pure uh, universal um, love uh, that isn't, um, how can I say? I've already, I've already read the, the, the suttas uh, that tell about <laughs> uh, non-attachment. It's non-attached, but it doesn't mean that you don't have a universal love, which is metta. It's, it's all a matter of practice and learning to practice it. And if you need, uh, a, if you need work on that, uh, there are textbooks that you can read. There are teachers you can listen to talks about, strictly about metta. You can listen to Bhantiji's talks about metta. He's a, he's a metta master. Aside from being a, a meditation master, for instance, and there are others, of course. Uh, Ajahn Brahm. Uh, and you can hear their talks about metta. All right? And I think it's, that's a wonderful addition to this talk, uh, and I'm glad you brought it up. I'm glad you brought medita uh, metta up. And, all right. Uh, Bhante, would uh, Ajahn's Brahms would, uh, my door, the door of my heart is always open to you, no matter what. Um, would they apply to this situation, do you think? It sounds like it would to me. <laughs> mm. Mm, me too. Well, uh, Ajahn Brahma is full of uh, metta for people. And um, he was uh, talking in particular about his father and his father's feeling towards him, him when he was young. His father was, uh, said, my door, the door of my house will always be open to you, or something very similar to that. Uh, yes, this is a description, this is one aspect of metta. Mm, it most certainly doesn't feel cold in that situation. No, I, I don't think metta is cold. Um, and I, 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 I would um, urge you, if you haven't practiced metta and are unclear about it, to listen to talks. You can hear them on YouTube and you can listen to Bhante Ji and, and, and other monks talk about metta and you can get uh, books about metta. Uh, I think her name is Susan Salzberg's uh, a book about metta. I read many years ago, a very good book. Susan Salzberg. Um, and there are other books about metta. And there are, there are t uh, you can go to uh, teachers who are teaching whole retreats about metta. 
if you need work in it and don't understand and, and un are unclear about it. Okay? Anybody? Right, so else would like to unmute and ask a question or to put a question in the chat? Thank you, Brenda. It's just a continuation on the theme, but it's like when someone or something like a pet um, dies, it looks like, okay, that's the end of one path or, or this life. And then they say, okay, now we've got to turn the page and carry on. But when there is continuous suffering, then it could appear to be when you, detachment uh, can appear to be that you are callous and, 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 and don't care about it. But as Catherine was saying, if you if you sort of look at it from the point of meta, then it can make it easier for yourself to cope with things like that. And I remember what Ajahn, I try to sort of uh, remember what John Brown says, when something's over, uh, you remember the good times that you had with that person or with that thing. You don't remember the, well, not to forget the, the, the current situation that you that, that you were in, but try and remember the good parts. That can make it easier for oneself personally to cope with things. But as Catherine was saying, it's the meta thing, so it's, uh, it is a difficult uh, when you were talking about the Peter Sutas earlier, so that is very difficult to do that because you can appear to be callous and and you don't want to be in that situation because then you become, you can become guns. But as you say, it's something like I could remember the good times that we had with that person or with that particular pet. That's all. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Mm, thank you, Penta. Is there anyone else who would like to unmute and ask a question? We have a few minutes, and if nobody uh, wants to ask another question, I'll continue this upside-down world description here. Thank you, Bhante. Um, so I was talking about cognitive distortion, uh, which is usually called vipalasa, uh, a Pali word. Uh, that's what it means. And uh, the four delusions, uh, and I explained already that, um, that we have uh, perception, thought, and views. And this is our cognition, and it's continually being turned upside down uh, by our wrong views. We're filled with wrong views. That's why the first step of the Eightfold Noble Path is right view. <laughs> right view. And so um, uh, the four delusions that we're concerned about um, being in, uh, that our cognition is infected by, uh, I'll just say them, self, permanence, pleasure, and purity. 
Now, in what way are these uh, these uh, infections? Well, obviously, for self, we think that uh, things have a self when they have no self. This is our first view, and we uh, we perceive things uh, to have a self, and the perception uh, creates thoughts, and so the thoughts create evidence to our um, other uh, the view of the mind, and so our views say, well, our thoughts prove that the world is filled with with self, all sorts of selves all over. Uh, that uh, this is this is a truth, a self-evident truth. We all have selves, right? Okay, that's the first distortion. The second distortion is that there is permanence. That there are some things that are permanent. That we are permanent. Uh, when there, everything is actually in fact, and we're told by the Dhamma that each, everything is impermanent. All things that we see are impermanent. We are impermanent. There is no permanence, but there appears to be permanence. Our perception says there is permanence. Well, that mountain is permanent, but of course it's not. <laughs> Even the mountain, mountains aren't permanent. Okay, the third one, distortion, is pleasure. And... Uh, we think that there is pleasure where there is pain. And this even applies to sex, which is a, a radical thought. And, and Ajahn Brahm talks about it in his book, books that uh, uh, sex is not actually uh, pleasurable. And the Buddha says that it's not. And yet nobody believes this. Uh, they, if you talk about this, they think you're crazy. Well... Of course, sex is, is great. It's the greatest thing you can do, for instance, for example. And other, and other pleasures are... Uh, but the, the truth is that these, these pleasures quickly turn into a, a painful situations. You know, pleasure is not what it appears, and it's... Uh, uh, there again, the world is topsy-turvy. What is pleasure is actually pain, becomes pain. Attachment to people becomes painful when they leave, for example. And the uh, last um, distortion is purity. I call it purity. You can also call it beauty. And what, what this is, is that nothing is pure that we see and we think, is, uh, we think of the, these things as pure and beautiful, but they're always, they always have blemishes. Everything that we see in the world is uh, impure. The world of the senses is impure, and yet we see it our perceptions say, oh, this is beautiful and this is pure. But these things are not beautiful and pure. If you want beautiful uh, purity, then seek uh, the jhanas. And even they are, can be uh, superseded by higher 
states. All right, those are the So these four particular delusions, and this is delusion. This is what delusion, avijja, means in, in uh, the Dhamma. This is, these four delusions um, are in all three levels of uh, cognition that I mentioned before. And they go from one to the other as I described before, going from perception to thought, which gives proof, thinking proof, and then affecting the views and changing the views. And the views change, and then the, because the views change, the perceptions change. You see, you like the vicious circle. So this is what I wanted to say about vipalasas and distortions. And why I read, uh, this is why I read uh, that chapter on uh, Pia uh, or attachment, because it's just not what you would think. <laughs> uh, it's not what you would think to find in the middle of a book uh, of uh, the Buddha's verses. And, uh, and you can all see that now, and struggling to find out how do we react to the people we, we love, how do we react, and yet remain detached. And we remain detached, so why? So that we can follow the Noble Eightfold Path, so that we can go from uh, morality to meditation, to wisdom, and then to attain um, the highest states. That's why. If we want to do that, then we follow uh, the Buddha's teaching. Okay. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Bunty. Bunty, we have one more last question in the chat. Okay. Uh, how does one remember these truths when one is caught up in the heat of the moment or pleasure of the moment? How can one be mindful or bring back our awareness to being mindful? Hmm. You know, that's a question for everybody to answer. How do you practice? How do you practice the path? How do you practice mindfulness when that's the most important thing? And yet it's so difficult to put first. Well, you continue practicing. That's why it's called a practice. And you see, uh, oops, I slipped this time, but next time maybe I'll. <laughs> do a little better. And you don't beat yourself up about these uh, slips and lapses. But if it's what you want, then you, you see the reason for uh, being mindful and not being attached and, and letting sense desires go. You see the reasons for them. And you listen to talks 
and you see more reasons and you hear what these teachers say and what they describe and they give you different methods. They'll give you different methods of doing exactly what you're talking about, of maintaining your mindfulness and remembering instead of uh, the sensual desire, for instance, remembering metta. All right. I hope that helps. Uh, we have a, a few, a couple of minutes. I hope that helps. Um, practice the path in all ways. Uh, as I said, you can listen to uh, you can listen to talks on YouTube. You can use textbooks. Uh, you can talk to teachers and ask them questions. Um, go to their their talks. Uh, people you respect and uh, feel are uh, hold the highest, the most utmost uh, uh, teaching. Those, those teachers, uh, the ones that you have confidence in, the highest confidence, and, uh, and follow their path and see the way others have taught and see, see the way these teachers um, behave towards other people. And if they're not, if they're not uh, behaving that way, then uh, they may not be the best teachers for you. I hope that helps some. But follow all, all the possible ways of following the path. Thank you, Bhante, for giving us words of wisdom and teaching us about the topsy-turvy world. Would you like to offer us a blessing to finish the evening? Uh, all right, this is the protection, uh, little protection verse that I... Sabe Buddha Bala Pata Pacheka Nang Chayang Balang Arhatanang Tatejana Rakang Bandami Saba So. Protection to all of you and all things. From the Buddhas uh, and the Arhats.